I figure both of you are Jewish with the names. Um, and David, you know, not not myself. I'm, really, I, I'm right on the verge. I, I I get it quite a bit being with David, sure. but yeah. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. I knew David was for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I get, it's a it's a it's a giveaway. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everybody and welcome to how the fuck did you get that job the show where two not so interesting guys <laughs> ask interesting people one question and then interrupt them as they try to answer it joining us today is jason falovich jason graduated from york university in 2007 in 2011 he was named director of muhammad ali's global village champions foundation then in 2012 jason began managing four-time heavyweight champion boxer evander holyfield after two years with holyfield he became the president of the digital television network URshow.tv. After two years there, he began representing UFC middleweight champion Michael Bisping in 2016. Shortly after, in 2017, he co-founded Playline.com, the largest sports lottery in the world, with Bisping and Roy Hibbert. In March of 2020, he co-founded Leverage Game Media with Mark Cuban. Today, he is still active with Playline, Leverage Game Media, and representing Bisping. Jason, welcome to the show, and how the fuck do you get that job? Or those jobs. I, we should honest, say. I don't even know because that intro was like, I was like, who is this guy? He sounds, <laughs> he sounds much better than I am. I'll tell you how much. <laughs> how the fuck did I get that job? Like every other one person that gets a job like that, you just got to get lucky with the first opportunity and then, you know, run with it. It's up to you. Um, everyone's got that that one shot and it's up to you to make it or don't, right? And then, and then from there, it's called the leverage game. And that's why my company with Cuban is called the leverage game because – you know, you leverage one guy to the next, the next, the next, until you're at the top of the food chain. I don't know where I can leverage Cuban to because I'm pretty. Now it's kind of like I hit the ceiling a bit, <laughs> but it's all good. It's all good. That's awesome. You talk about that that one opportunity. What what felt like that one opportunity for you, like coming out of York, or or maybe it was going to York. What what, what did you feel like that first opportunity was? The first the first real opportunity. Wow, I was I was working with my uncle as his assistant. And he happened to be best friends with Muhammad Ali for a long time and about 30, 40 years, they're old friends. And I kind of, I would say the, the first opportunity was getting that experience with him, but through that me being at Holyfield, I, I would say that's when, that's when it all started. Like I, I kind of met Holyfield and we just connected. Um, and I, and I, you know, I was 26, like that was 10 years ago now. And I don't have a clue how to, you know, I never dealt with athletes or I was always a sports fan, but I never represented an athlete or handled the business of the athlete. So I just kind of, he was on the down and I was on my way up and it just like, we kind of collided and, and it worked. And I, I took that and I ran that for about two and a half years with him. I, I managed all his business and I, you know, recreated his brand with Mike Tyson. I kind of rebuilt him from the ground up. And then from there, I got recruited to, 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 to be the president of a digital television network. And it just kind of perpetuated like, it just that was my one shot and that holy field we hit it off if we didn't hit it off i don't know where i'd be today and what was that pitch to holy field like right you said you were 26 like just you know what into the industry like what was there even a pitch or was it just a conversation well, it wasn't really a pitch it was like organic it was like through the muhammad's foundation i had met holy field and i had done some stuff with him with the foundation right and then just more than once so that you know the first time it's like whatever and then the second time just became like a little closer. Then the third time became a little closer. And then it was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll manage you. It wasn't even like, 
let me be your manager. Because I had no intention to be his manager. Just we were put in a situation where we had to work on something together and we just kind of hit it off. And what kind of became your focus or what was the strategy? Because you talked a little bit about it, like Evander Holyfield and really boxing as a whole kind of on the way down. It's not like, you know, you could, you could put together a fight, you know, between him and, and Tyson again and redo it all. Like what was the, what, what was your focus and what was the strategy when you first started really doing that full time? It's a good question. So Holyfield had lost all of his money at that point. Um, he made about 350 million in his career. He ended up losing his house, losing his, you know, he was just in bad financial times, not by his own volition. He just had bad people around him. Um, mm-hmm. And he had this beautiful house on Evander Holyfield Highway in Atlanta. It was 57,000 square feet. Actually, Rick Ross owns it now. Um, mm-hmm. But he had just, the bank had just taken that house away. And he kind of went through a similar transition to Mike mm-hmm. Tyson about five years prior. After he went through the same type of, you know, bankruptcy and financial issues and whatever else he had right um so i figured you know holyfield will always be tied to mike tyson for his whole life given that mike bit off his ear right or his ear so um that's kind of what made evander world renowned as famous as he is because he was part of that fight he's a great boxer but i mean when have you ever seen something as crazy like that in sports since that day probably not many things compete. So my strategy was just let, let me just connect him with Mike. You know, Mike needed him and he needed Mike. So um, I connected them t- together for the first time, like informally since the earbudding situation, you know, I want to say like 20 years prior. Um, and so like I witnessed, it was crazy. I, I rented the presidential suite at the Intercontinental Hotel in Atlanta. And Mike was there doing his one-man show. And I figured it was a good time to connect them. And I actually watched, like I, I was in a room with Mike and Holyfield and I saw Mike Tyson, like apologize, like, like for the first time, really like, sorry, everybody you're here. And Vanner's like, it's okay. And then it was it. And then I just kind of like, I, I, I did this Fox show with Mike and I brought Holyfield into it. And then, you know, we did like a Foot Locker commercial where Holyfield gave Evander his ear back. And so, it just kind of, you know, it just, I, I really just wrote on, on Tyson's back with Holyfield and it got to a point where Holyfield just came back in the limelight and I put him in like Celebrity Big Brother or I'll put him in like, I put him in Grudge Match, which is mm-hmm. a movie with Robert De Niro with Holyfield mm-hmm. again, talking about the ear. So I just kind of rebuilding that, that ear connection and it just took off by itself. And by the time I left Holyfield, like he was good. He didn't even need me so, anymore. That, that's amazing. And, and- so Jake and I work in personal branding for professional athletes. So, so we're aware of like, you know, the whole landscape and also just having to like lean into being vulnerable. Right. Was there like when you told them like, Hey, we, we need to lean into this Tyson, like ear, ear thing or whatever, you know, like, was there hesitation uh, or was it like, I'm all in let's, let's lean in and let's, let's go, let's go big. You know what it was? I was just very <laughs> young and experienced and immature in mm-hmm. a sense with business like i didn't even it wasn't like this is our strategy it was like all right it's probably makes sense but i'm also gonna try this and that and that and that and this and like you know like i would we would go to russia with being invited by like vladimir putin and i would like take that and build out social right and i would like you know i understood the social space back then he didn't he didn't have a social so i would get him verified and, you know so it wasn't i wouldn't say it was like one particular thing i just saw that was like the low-hanging fruit but then from there it was like I realized Holyfield is, is like world renowned. Like I would be in Bulgaria with, with him and, you know, we would just he'd be stopped in every corner of the world and 
from Asia to didn't matter where we were, right? It was was pretty wild to see. Like when we went to Philippines to go visit Manny Pacquiao, you know, they like it was a swarm at the airport. They didn't even take our passports because the guys that were staying in the passport booth wanted a picture with them. Yeah, I, I just kind of went rogue. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. I really, I, I was thrown into a situation where I was managing former four or five time heavyweight champ of the world, you know, one of the greatest boxers of all time, athletes of all time. And just, and- I didn't intend to be in this position, but, you know, it just kind of, I guess, some Big higher t- power realized that I was, I was good at that. I didn't know I was. I, I was a good talker always, you know, I was a good schmoozer. You know what I mean? Um, this is kind of my, my thing. I didn't I didn't think I can manage Vander Holyfield tell you that much, but you know you kind of have to be put in a position to either sink or swim. And yeah. thankfully, I, I swam. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and just for our listeners too, right? Like, I think if you were to Google the word manager, uh, you probably get a lot of different kind of definitions, right? Like to you, right? Like what what is it what does a great manager actually do that's you know why a great manager just protects his his athlete he just protects them to the death like my job was to be holyfield's voice holyfield was not great communicator <clears throat> he had been damaged badly in, in the ring and and that shows in his you know in his communication and his forgetfulness and his brain damage and whatever else he has and i would just it was like my son like I had to treat him like he was my son. I was involved in every aspect of his life. He's a unique case um, because, you know, if you're managing like anyone, like basketball player, you, they don't require that much attention, but like Holyfield required that much attention. So I, I, I gave it to him. Like I just kind of fathered him. I would say that's what made, like even with myself and Michael Bisping, like we're, we're best friends. Well, you know, we go on vacation together. It's just you know, like I never wanted to be in the management space, but like I would just had a good connection with athletes and then I became friends with them and I just kind of was honest and took care of them because a lot of people take advantage of boxers and that's kind of the theme in that space. But I didn't come from the boxing world, right? So I wasn't corrupted. Um, you know, I was a good Jewish boy from fucking Toronto, right? I didn't, I wasn't going through the rings of, of you know, of like the fight game. I was more on the business side of the game. So I, I guess it was fresh for, for Holyfield and then it was fresh for me as a manager just to like do give it my all and like I the thing about Holyfield is like a lot of managers can represent like several guys like Holyfield required 24-7 attention so like he really was my only thing at the time so I had to give it all my attention and how tough was that transition then when when you did have to leave because I you know like you're talking about it's it's different than if you had, you know, a roster of 24 guys and, you know, you set up the calls and had 30 minute calls with each of them and was like, Hey, I'm leaving to do this digital TV network. How tough was that transition going into the URshow.tv? It was actually pretty, it was pretty amicable. I feel like, you know, your course, you ran your course. I was young, like he was old, like he, his career was done. Like my career just started mm-hmm. and I was living in Europe at the time with, um, we were doing a lot of shit in Europe and I was living there and you know, the opportunity came and it was like, I can go back to Toronto and I kind of want to want to do it. Like I wanted to, I didn't want to be in that management business anymore. Like I kind of, that wasn't my goal in life. Right. It just happened to be an opportunity that I took. And I, I just met so many people with through Holyfield, like so many other athletes and celebrities and prime ministers and governors and presidents. And just like my network was so huge that like I just realized I, I outgrew Holyfield. Right. He didn't outgrow me. And there were so many people that wanted to manage him, right? And he, it wasn't like 
it wasn't like he was Mr. Loyal. He, he, you know, he, he was a boxer and I was working on my career. I was always trying to take his name and like build other businesses with it or, you know, leverage into other companies or get my foot in the door elsewhere. Like it was like a means to an end with Holyfield. So it wasn't, I still talk to him like, you know, three, four times a week. Like we're still boys and, you know, like I wish congrats when I have a kid and, you know, he just became a grandfather. You know, we'll just chit chat like that. Um, so I actually wasn't that, that challenging. It was, it was the right, it was, I think it was the right for both of us at the time. And with URshow.tv, what, when, when you got there, where were they at in terms of like get with, with all of their shows and like, what was your immediate goals right day one in that office? Well, they had zero. It wasn't, it was nothing at the time. <laughs> um, it was like a corporate, um, digital streaming platform i don't know it was it was like on the corporate side i don't remember it was it wasn't it was like they wanted to use their technology and my access to talent and such to um take the corporate side and make an entertainment side to that business to that division so we really started from scratch um again it was a means to an end it allowed me to meet my business partner aaron who i'm partners with still to today made me allow me to meet michael bisping um, you know, I did a fight with Roy Jones Jr. and I put him in the ring. So the first thing was like, what, 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 what do I have that's like in arm's reach? Like I was boys with Rampage Jackson at the time. And it was like, all right, hey, Rampage, let's do that. Or, you know, just I had so many fight contacts. I just figured like, I'll just start, I'll do a fight, you know? And I put Roy Jones, Jr., Roy Jones Jr. in a ring to fight a fan for 100 grand. And that's kind of how like it became a freak show. And then I did like a $10 million world record hole in one challenge hosted by shooter mcgavin from happy gilmore and like we were just doing like again it was more like i, I didn't know what i was doing i was thrown into a position where i was managing holyfield which, which i wasn't um which i wasn't ready for or qualified for but i succeeded in that and then i was thrown into a position where i was being a president of a digital developers network so i went from nothing to holyfield to being a president like i didn't you know i had jobs after school and such right but nothing like more than entry level so i was like you know the, the the opportunities came kept coming and i just kept taking them and, and and capitalizing it so like with the digital television network i don't know it wasn't like i, I just never wanted to work for somebody it would it would get it was an it was a transition it was an opportunity to re you know to get someone to pay me a nice salary and you know be part of something that may or may not be big but the, you know at the back of my mind I was always like i'm gonna work for myself okay, but totally. that yeah, that environment allowed me to meet my business partners for my next project, which was Playline. So same thing, Holyfield got me to that position of being, you know, getting notoriety to get to the point to be the president of a digital television network, which then allowed me to be my partners, to get the Playline, et cetera, et cetera, right? So everything for me was like a stepping stone, which is why my company with Mark is called Leverage Game Media, because I've kind of, it's like the leverage game. I've been leveraging it every step of the way um, yeah. since day one. Yeah, absolutely. And there's that Steve Jobs quote where it's like easy to look back and uh, connect the dots looking backwards, right? Uh, but when you're when you're in it, like just like you're, you know, you you are putting your best foot forward um, and, and making like what, it happen. Did dude, it's, it's like what Jake just said before? It's like, you know, like he he introduced me. I'm like, whoa, that sounds fucking legit. Like I, yeah, <laughs> I don't look at myself like that. You know what I mean? It's like totally. wow, I had to connect to that. And like when you talk about it, it's like holy fuck, that's pretty yeah. cool. But like life's so busy you don't fucking think about that shit you know yeah absolutely it was always going do you ever feel sometimes that like you were you were really early to that like celebrity like shooter mcgavin like now you got the match going on and you got 
Jake Paul and you got all the celebrity boxing. Like th- that was five, five years ago you were doing this. Right. So like, and now I feel like that industry is just, just starting to really, really take off. We were the first person to put a boxer of like Roy Jones level. And we had him fight an MMA fighter um, who was a fan but he was voted in and it was approved by the athletic commission of Arizona, but he was an MMA fighter, you know, like he had MMA bouts. So, you know, that was the whole like Floyd Connor. And then, you know, you'd have like Jake or whoever, like it, it just like, we kind of created the freak show idea. And it was, we were just so early. We got picked up by everyone, ESPN to bleach report to Fox to CNN. Cause everyone's like, these guys are like, what the hell? These guys are ridiculous like what are they doing and but then then it was like okay well yeah you have box rma and it kind of works and then they just started to do it like three years three years later it was like you know we were early but that was kind of like cool like people are recognizing us as like oh, you did that shit five years ago with roy, roy jones Jr. and like yeah. you know i would we were definitely early with everything i was doing we were early but now it's like i have experience in that shit so like you know like Triller had hit us up to do some help, you know, with possibly a fight kind of like we were talking about Holyfield Tyson too, you know, about putting that together as well. Or three, three. Yeah. So yeah, it just kind of comes for full circle. Even now with like the social media game with, with, with Mark and such, like I didn't, I didn't grow, I'm 36, right. Social world's like still, you know, it's a younger generational thing. It's not really 36, 40 plus. It's more like, you know, your twenties, early thirties and younger. So, but I happen to just get into there earlier as well before others with athletes and such. So I, I would say it was, those were also preparing me. Like I didn't know, right. I didn't know that just the influencer, the t- social game, the freak show boxing matches and all that would just would, would blow up years later. And, and were you, 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 you talked about having all those fight contacts. Were you trying to kind of get back into representing before Bisping or was, was no. that just a friendship that just kind of like it, it again naturally happened? Yeah. Like the Bisping was like, I hired him to be on that fight card. He was, mm-hmm. he it was, it was Roy Jones Jr. Fighting a fan. And it was Mike Bisping and Chael Sonnen who were, who was also a UFC fighter. who were both buddies. Well, Chael was a friend of my prior. I did a show with him. And then I, I met Mike through there and they create, you know, they did the grappling match aspect of it. Um, and then we had a wrestling match on the same card with, um, with I don't know if you guys remember Kurt Angle and Ray Mysterio, like old mm-hmm. WWE guys. Um, so that allowed, like, I, I had no intention to represent Michael Bisping, and I, 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 don't, I don't even say I really represented him. Like, I, I had so many contacts in boxing that I would start utilizing with Mike, right? And it wasn't like I took over his career, like I did Holyfield. It was more like we became business partners. Like, it started off becoming. I hired him to fight and then he became friends. And then I started representing him on certain deals that I had, you know, that were coming to me already. Cause you know, being managing Holyfield, I had so many contacts and over the years, they would always come back and just check up. And then that would open doors for, for Bisping. But my whole objective was this with Bisping outside of friendship was like, we we're going to get into business together and work together. We want to be part of it, something together versus like, I, I just, the representation game is not what I was like. I, Again, I, was, I don't want to build anyone else's dream. Like, I didn't want to build Holyfield's dream. I don't want to build Bisping's dream. I wanted to build my dream. And then, you know, getting it, like, kind of gave me some credibility with Bisping because, you know, he looked at the Holyfield growing up. And then getting a couple deals for Mike and making some extra scraps for him on the side, like, it just helped the cause. 
but that whole like representation management deal uh, world, like of mine died with Holyfield really. Like I don't, I've had so many opportunities to manage athletes, represent athletes to today. Like just cause I now work with a lot more NBA players and athletes and I just doesn't appeal to me anymore. And there's, and the money's just not there as well. Like you're not like I did a deal with, with Holyfield, our biggest deal would, it was half a million bucks and he, he was in uh, celebrity big brother and it was a shit show. And, you know, we make 10%, which is 50 grand, which is nice money. But you're not making 500 million. You're not making 5 million. Right. Um, so everything runs its course. I didn't want to build a management firm and I had enough guys on my repertoire, Holyfield and Mike and whoever to just kind of take it again, leverage into something else. And that's what I did. I started, I started playline with, 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 with Bisping. So it was and everything kind of derived from that, but it, it's just like, I, I never wanted to be in that game from the beginning. And, and when you met your co-founders, was it just like instant magic or was there like a, a period of like, Hey, what are we going to do together? Or like, how, how did that uh, come about? That's a good question. So um, when I was the president of a digital television network, my first hire was a head of production. Um, his name was Aaron Nevraskin. Him and I became like brothers overnight. Um, and we experienced a digital television network together for a couple of years. And we worked like we ended up running this business together pretty much like me and him. And then we're like, again, why the fuck are we building this guy's dream? Him, myself and Mike became just really close. Like, again, nothing was forced. You know, when things happen naturally, you know, when it's not like me selling Bisping, like come invest and be part of this. Like I tell him about what I got going on. He's like, that sounds great. I want to be part of this with you. And then again, he air and my partner happened to have done a, um, an MMA show in the past. He was a producer um, with Netflix and such. So him and Mike just became close. And then I became close to Mike. And then we just became a crew. Like Mike happened to be filming Triple X, the Vin Diesel movie in Toronto right after we did the fight for like three months. And I had, you know, things just happen, right? Things just, it's like fate sometimes. And then Mike was a champ of the world fighting George St. Pierre at Madison Square Gardens. And we had just started launching on, on Instagram and got verified and had like Jamie Foxx and all these cool celebrities following us. So we were building it up and Mike being the champ slash co-founder at the time at the top of the game helped out with just, you know, building it up. And I remember when Mike fought GSP, he lost and, and, you know, because it was such a big fight, he had all his family from around the world that were coming in. He had, we had his after party and we, we, um, you know, he asked me to just kind of man the shoulder. Well, he had to go get stitched up into the hospital after his fight. And I, I walked in, I saw I was like gigantic human being. I'm like, holy fuck, it's the biggest guy I've ever seen in my life. And it was, um, it was Roy Hibbert. And I was like, oh my God. And, and I'm like, yo, Roy, what's up? He's like, oh yeah, I'm here to meet uh, Michael Bisping. I'm a big fan. I'm like, yeah, well, he's, he's my boy, my business partner, et cetera, et cetera. And then he's like, oh, cool. That's dope. Same way Holyfield got me in the door with, with, uh, with Bisping, right? Like, very organically. Now, Bisping was a fan of Holyfields. Well, Roy's a fan of Bisping's. We got literally had a two minute conversation. We exchanged numbers. Two weeks later, he's invested and started the company with us. Again, I didn't persuade him. I didn't try to get funds out of him. I didn't try to give him the best. He just hit me up and, and was like, "Hey, let's let's talk." And then again, organically, he asked to invest. He asked to start the company, be a part of it, and then the four of us just went and, and started it. Nothing was forced. Nothing like. We knew that getting into fantasy sports at the time was a terrible idea too. DraftKings scandal owned the show, right? Everyone was losing and, and getting out of the space. And we're like, fuck it. We're just going to get in. 
and, and you know, we never thought that sports betting would be legalized a few years later, et cetera, et cetera. But we just followed what we love. We followed our passion. We worked with people we want to work with. Everyone was passionate about what we were doing. Everyone worked well together. And it's just like, we're still together. We're still all best friends. We still work, you know, we're still working on many projects daily together. So it's like, yeah, it's like, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. Like I always, you know, whether it be shoveling driveways or whatever, I always did shit like that. But I always knew it was right, but I, I never forced it. And then the time was right. And it just, the people came in my life that were right, that were meant to be with me and the business came into life that was a passion to me and it all just worked. And how did like the initial idea for Playline and like the, that simple pitch that you, you gave to Roy in that two minute, how did that change to where it is now where sports betting is legalized? You know, the, the whole space you're in had this massive shift just in the last four or five years that you've been in it. So early on, it was like, let's create a simplified version of FanDuel and DraftKings to, because, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings were more for the hardcore sports fans. And, you know, we wanted to tap into the rest of them. And that theory still applies um, ish. But we, you know, our product stayed the same. Um, it went from more of like a peer to peer fancy product. You know, it was a sports lottery still, but it didn't, it was more of a fancy game. You would generate points and, you know, create, uh, you would bet, you know, you would play against a pool of people like FanDuel or DraftKings when, it evolved into like, you know, we became the house and it became a gambling product where like, you know, Jake was, versus, was playing against Playline or, or Dave was playing against Playline, right? There was no, it wasn't like I had to beat other people. I had to beat the house now and it became more of a simplified game and actually even used, easier to use where it was as simple as like, how many points will LeBron score tonight? I don't know, 20, 30, cool. You played Playline, you know? It was mm -hmm. so easy and it just kept getting easier and easier to a point where, you know, it, it evolved into a, a, a sports lottery with fancy sports into a sports lottery. And then we kind of took the brand Playline and identified it kind of like Kleenex is a brand, Tissue is a product. That's kind of how we created Playline, the sports lottery, like you're playing the stat line. So we just used the brand and we build, we, the brand kind of led the direction of the, of the product and it just kept getting easier and more simplified and, and it changed with the times. Everything in fantasy from like five years ago from DraftKings Fandle slowly just kind of transitioned their product into a gambling product because that's a much bigger market. And, and by doing that, it was more simplified. Everyone knows what to bet on sports, sports game. You know, you know the spread or whatever props. So our, every product, ours, Fandle, DraftKings, we're, we're trying that same technique. Um, and then it just evolved into a sports lottery. A very organically. We just change with the times, you know, you got, you got to keep up with innovation and the times and marketing. And that's like, we always say like innovation and marketing are the two most important things to our business and they have to work in parallel together. So the industry was innovating and we, you know, we, we changed our product with it from a tech perspective and marketed that, that, that uh, sports lottery type play. And, and it worked, you know, we have 300,000 users now. It's mm -hmm. the largest sports lottery in the world. It feels like, that's a lot on its own, <laughs> you know, like, like helping guide that brand to guide the product to get in, in a space where things are moving very fast. What made you, or what were the series of events that even led to leverage game media and what, like, what made you be like, you know what, I see this other vertical, I can do this here. Uh, Cause that, yeah, again, sounds like a lot. <laughs> it is, but you know what, it's like you get into a business and you realize it's applicable, like you meet so many people and, you find different techniques and strategies. Uh, you know, 
I'll tell you how leverage game was about for us was acquiring customers. So we had to acquire customers to play our game. And we found that the easiest way to acquire customers was through social media and, you know, marketing and pushing, you know, like NBA memes being one of the platforms we would pay them to push all their traffic back to Playline. And it was very effective. And we were using every major sports entity on social other than like the, you know, uh, like ESPN and the score or whatever sports center, all, other than the top tier ones. Like we were paying every single micro influencer to promote our shop. And then we realized like we can constantly pay them or we can just buy them. So we acquired MBA means we started a social media company and acquired MBA means, which is, which was the largest sport, uh, like, I would call it like independent sports product on social that wasn't an ESPN score based on growth and just, you know, engagement and a variety of different factors. Um, so that kind of um, turned into this the social media company and then COVID hit. And our revenue, like we were doing a million dollars a day in revenue and it went to zero one day because we lost sports. Remember basketball and hockey ended. In like mm-hmm. February or whatever it was, March of last mm-hmm. year, and we were like, "Wow, we're we're fucked." <laughs> like we have a huge staff and we have so many expenses, and we, our revenue went to zero in a single day. Um, but you know, we've come so far as like here's another challenge, and we had this great product which was NBA Meets that you know we got it had three million followers and it like grew to four like it was nothing, um, and it just kept growing and growing. And during the pandemic, we obviously had a lot more time to build that business because Playline was just suffering and bleeding. Mark Cuban happened to follow NBA memes. So I told him my social guys, I'm like, just hit him up, see what's up. Cause I didn't know, he, you know, like Steph, Steph, uh, you know, Steph Curry follows us and Shaq and like it's NBA memes is so big, right? You don't, you don't know who's following you, all the major names that follow us, just, just thousands and thousands of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark, was like, yeah, I'm a fan. You know, here's my email. Tell him to hit me up. And then I hit up Mark. And, you know, he was a fan of, you know, he knew Roy and he was a fan of Mike. So I was like, I was already in with Mark. And we emailed him on a Friday night. And this is like heart of pandemic. So it could have been good that we had his attention. You know, he wasn't leaving his house or flying around the world or whatever he does. Or going mm-hmm. to basketball game for that matter. And Friday, we kind of hit it off on, on email. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, he bought he invested like it was like it was like this we have a story now we can ride this out like we rode mark cuban's story out until pandemic died down sports came like it it saved our company um but that's just because you know if you do if you just constantly push and diversify and create new opportunities like you're not all in on one thing like a playline died leverage survives or but you know or nft or whatever else we do so we just constantly keep creating relationships and building and building like you can't just ride with your one horse you know like it's like you can you can you can bet on lebron his whole career but he's going to retire eventually right so mm. you know we had this great business and we evolved into another business which turns and then leverage turned to nft and then you know nft turns into this so uh, yeah i would say that the social me- media business was full luck we bought mbms just before pandemic pandemic allowed us to get involved with mark cuban we may have never met mark cuban prior to that had we not been trying to scrape scrape and you know find new opportunities um so yeah that's kind of how the so that's how mark came into play and then 
you know, Mark and I just kind of, we kind of hit it off. You know, Mark is just a great dude. My business partner, Aaron and my, and myself are both Jewish and he's like an older Jewish guy and he wants to help the next generation. I figure both of you are Jewish with the names. Um, and D- David, you know, not, not myself. <laughs> David, for sure. I, I was saying yeah. David yeah. and Jake Miller's Jewish, but you never know. Um, really, I, I'm right on the verge. I, I, I get it quite a bit being with David, sure. but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I knew David was for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I get, it's a, it's a, it's a giveaway. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just kind of like how you know I'm sure someone helped Mark and some, and he, Mark wasn't helping us, but like he kind of took liking to us because you know we got on a Zoom and you know I remember first he's like the first thing he said is like guys I got, I got ten minutes. We're yeah. like, all right, whatever. We got Mark Cuban. Who cares? You know, ten minutes, one minute. Then like. First thing he says, like, oh, I like your T-shirt. I have the same one. And I, it was like a Muhammad Ali T-shirt I had. I'm like, yeah, I used to actually run one of the foundations. Then we kind of just became like two dudes meeting at a bar, you know? Nice. Then within the first five minutes, I don't know how we found out we were, my Aaron and I are both Jewish. And he's like, ah. Oh. Then he was like, engage. And David, you can speak for this. Because you know when you meet all the Jewish guys and they found out you're Jewish, you got that, you get that one-to-one. Out of the that, tribe. You know, you know, you have, a, you're like family-ish, but not, you know? Um, and then he's on the phone with us for like an hour and 15 minutes. And it was the greatest conversation I've ever had in my life. Like this guy took our business and he didn't, he knew nothing about it. And by the end of the conversation, we thought we were the dumbest guys we'd ever met. And we always thought we were these like smart, savvy fucking entrepreneurs. And he just like, how can someone be that ahead of everything? And, and to, since that day, and it's been like a year and a half that we've been working together, I got into NFT because of Mark, like. I, I got at NFT on Instagram because of Mark. Like I literally, Mark will tell us even like two days ago, he's like talked to us about like something related to college, uh, uh, college basketball players and NFTs. Like he's just constantly ahead of the game and he just gets us into new opportunities. So like before it was like the deal flow was like, we would have one opportunity like every three months now, cause we're aligned with Mark. It's like we have a, once a week, we have an opportunity that comes to us. So it's, you know, somewhat legit every time because that's Mark Cuban deal flow. That's I mean, that's, that's extremely serendipitous and just awesome mm-hmm. that like that, that happened. I want to ask you the question about at NFT too. Like what was the first time you heard like the letters NFT and then when, then how did that transpire into, you know, where it is today? Yeah, that's a good one. So um, Mark, like I want to say five or six months ago, I was not crypto guy. Like I, I know Bitcoin. Like I was not in that game. Never had any involvement in crypto. Always in like the sports field, uh, entertainment field. Um, and Mark, I remember email us. He's like, "We're going all in on on on. We're going all in this NFT." I'm like, "You know what the fuck's NFT?" <laughs> and then someone on his team was like, "Yeah, the last time Mark said he's going all in on something, he put a billion dollars into Amazon." <laughs> so I'm like, "All right, he probably knows what he's talking about." So I got my hands on at NFT on Instagram. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what the meaning of it. And like, it was just like, Mark said, it's cool. Guys worth 5 billion. I'm worth negative 5 billion. So I gotta, I gotta take them for, you know, I gotta take them at, at, uh, at phase value. And, and it's crazy. We got the account. And the next day is kind of when the in- industry blew up. Like in a, I don't know if you guys remember early NFT, but like in a day it was like, this guy made 5 million. This guy made 2 million. This guy and every celebrity was just making money like that. And the next day, I like I, the day one. I put a lo- you know I, I put a logo on it, whatever, and I just just started to pick up by itself off off the bat. And day one, I had an offer for someone hitting us up. They wanted to buy the account for hundred grand off of us. So I'm like, I just could have made ten x in a day 
I didn't sell it, but I'm like, there's something here. Mm-hmm. And I remember like five days later, I got it verified. I got it verified super early, um, which was huge for the account and the growth. I got it was growing like 10,000 plus a day. It was, it was, it was wild at the beginning. And then we had offered for 250,000 to buy it. And then this is like, we're in this, like, and then we had like another offer for a, for a mill. And this is like a week and a half, two weeks in. Cause it was like, everyone was like making a million dollars at that point. It was insane. Then two weeks after that, you know, I don't want to say a name, but a pretty massive, one of the biggest celebrities on this planet offered to buy, offered to buy it off us for 2 million bucks, the, just the Instagram account. Um, and then right there, I'm like, okay, the, the NFT is going to be something special. Um, and that's how I got in Mark. Like I would never, I probably wouldn't have even been in it today had it not been for him. That's awesome. That's, and that, and account, that account was just available, right? Like you just. Yeah, I just got my hands on it. You know? Oh, it's no. Kind of, so you didn't, you didn't even. So, so it's, it's kind of like you found $2 million on the floor or like we're offered $2 million for something. You, you we'll call it probably 10 right now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah then, yeah. That's yeah. great. You know, you got to put, you know, I was funny. I was playing golf on Sunday and I was playing with this buddy of mine plays in NHL and he's a great golfer and he had this one shot that was like a shitty terrible shot and just bounce bounce lay on the green and I said like you got to be good to be lucky and you got to be good to be lucky like I, I I would never have gotten lucky with Mark with NFTs if I've not been like busting my ass to get myself in that position all these this whole story we've been talking about led me to that moment right mm-hmm. Mark's not emailing me getting NFTs just because I'm Jason Falovich, you know, right? Like I had to prove something to him that I was worthy of that. Mm -hmm. And you talked about throughout this podcast about, you know, building your dream. What does that look like now with leverage game and moving forward? Like just the next couple of years, like where, where, where is that dream for you now? And how has that changed since, you know, growing up in Toronto? So the dream is like, I've, exceeded my expectations with the dream to be honest from professional and personal mm. you know and i believe might be a law of attraction you know if you really believe in something with all you have and just tunnel vision and don't take no for an answer and convince and, and you know and fight that voice inside of you and just want something bad enough you're going to get it and, and it's kind of weird because it's happened you know and when times are dark early on or when you're in major debt and shit you just gotta i don't know you just gotta keep believing that that you'll make it and then you know so i, I would say i'm living my dream but I, I would say the ultimate dream since since i was like 16 was bringing an NF, nfl team to toronto so it's, it's a big <laughs> yeah that's 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 the that's like the retirement if, if you know that's the that's the eventual play on my books but that's who knows when that's going to be. <laughs> but once I get there and you see my name on the news and you'll know I'll be retired. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's amazing. Are you, are you an Argonauts fan then? Like, is that, no, is that transfer? Not. Okay. No. So it's not just a fucking like... chance. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably been to one Argonauts game my whole life and seen one, which is that one. <laughs> that's funny. Well, Jason, we're uh, pretty terrible ending these. So we end them with uh, the quick question round. Uh, we do not have a sponsor for this quick question round. So uh, any kid out there uh, looking to get a job and wants to advertise with us, because that uh, is, has been the only couple sponsorships we've had besides my mom. Uh, yeah, hit us up. That's dope. Number so one. What, yeah. Oh, you go ahead. You go ahead. Sorry. No, you go. You go. Uh, person you'd most want to sit down to dinner with. 
Dead or alive? Dead or alive? Uh, John Lennon. Favorite city in the world? New York or Thailand. Is it okay to sleep with socks on? Thailand's not a city, but it's a country, but we'll call it New York. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I just had this conversation with my wife two hours ago when I was putting my kids to bed, actually. One of them was wearing socks. I'm like, you can't, can't put them to bed with socks. It's just not comfortable. You got, if you need to breathe. When, when we started this podcast, I thought it was going to be 50 50. Um, really? And uh, yeah, we're at like 92 to 8 or something like yeah, that. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Favorite rom com? Probably a notebook. Notebook's always a solid one. That's a great one. Best spot to eat in Toronto? Ooh, dude. Soto Soto. Mm. These are these are loaded questions, even though they're so <laughs> simple. <laughs> one these thing are the hardest I- questions I've had so far, by the way. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> one thing athletes need to do more of is blank ah wow that is a really good question one thing athletes need to do more of is invest in their future i like that yeah. uh greatest greatest combat sports athlete ever wow greatest combat sports athlete ever based on skill what are we basing this on or I, I got to leave it open-ended. I got to okay. leave it. <laughs> Just greatest. I respect that. I respect it. The greatest combat. Because, like, combat sports, when I, I like to think combat sport, I think MMA and not boxing. I, you know? Yeah. You know it's what always, I mean? It's, it's always boxing. tough, like, with that term. I feel like your mind immediately goes there. Yeah, like, I, I'm going to take boxing out of the equation. I would say the greatest combat athlete of all time is Conor McGregor. Just because... Not only is unbelievable, but he he just is so much better outside the ring, and and I respect how someone takes a brand and can just become like legendary as he has. And he's also an amazing fighter. I, mean, I don't know what he is anymore, but you know, he was the first double champ, and and the guys he'll go down as. I mean, people don't talk about Khabib anymore, really, and he was the greatest, right? Connor so, mm-hmm. is Connor can keep losing, and he'll still be. He'll still sell out fucking arenas till the end of time. In 40 years, what will people be nostalgic for? The lack of uh, technology. Because mm-hmm. I don't, in 40 years, it's going to be a, f- like, we, you think we're bad now? Like, 40 years, we'll be so connected. It's like, you're going to go on vacation where the whole country doesn't have internet or something like that. One thing people don't understand about working for yourself is blank. You gotta just you gotta be you gotta just be beat yourself. Like you have to be able to overcome that voice inside of you. The hardest, your biggest challenge is yourself. If you can overcome that and control that voice, you will be a successful entrepreneur no matter what you do. You're your own worst enemy. Like you, me, David, Jake. There's no reason why either of us can't be in whatever position either of us are in. Like we're all capable of it. And then you see people who have like we're blind or deaf or you know. Or, lost both their arms and they're just taking over the world so i say you're, you're your own best resources resource or worst enemy love that advice uh what's the worst advice you've ever been given the worst advice i've ever been given well i want to believe that everything in my life has been great probably when i was 13 getting drunk and going back to school and throwing up in my principal's office it was a pretty bad decision <laughs> but that was that was that was that was bad advice my buddy ronnie <laughs> i don't know it's, tough. it's a tough one wow my worst decision ever was shout out ronnie shout yeah out shout ronnie. out ronnie the worst advice that i've actually 
the worst advice I've ever been given was that I can, I'm, I'm going to give this one to Ronnie too, because we were bad kids together to take my mother, my, my, my mother-in-law's car when I was 14 to, to drive around the city of Toronto and, and crash into a tree and total it. That was probably the worst advice in my life. <laughs> again, shout out Ronnie again for that one. <laughs> Ronnie, two time parents. <laughs> Ronnie. Sponsored by, we'll bring it to you by the quick question round by Ronnie. Yeah, quick question round brought to you by Ronnie. Um, <laughs> in one sentence, how would you sum up the internet? The, 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 um, the most amazing thing and the worst thing. Because it, the opportunities it brings is amazing, but the way it ruins people's identities and lack of, uh, you know, um, con- lack of confidence and self-esteem and connections and one-to-one connections. And like, I remember when I was younger, I wanted to meet a chick. I had to go meet a chick and walk up to her, you know, I'm like that translates in business and I'm not afraid to talk to anybody. So I think that the internet is the most, like it connects the world, but also overly connects the world. I think. Who's somebody you think should hop on this podcast? You know, my partner, Aaron, <laughs> he's got a cool story too. <laughs> I would say um, my boy, MCW, Michael Carter-Williams. Maybe I can see if I can try to get him on for you. He's got nothing to do right now. He's on the off season. There we go. That'd be great. <laughs> I graduated from Q's, so. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. Last but not least, in 2030, you can catch Jason Falovich playing. Also, also, we can have Ronnie on the podcast too. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, Ronnie, whenever he's ready. <laughs> I haven't spoken to Ronnie in so long. <laughs> What was that, Jake? Uh, in 2030, you can catch Jason Valovich blank. You won't, you won't catch him anywhere. I'll be gone. He'll be, he'll be retired, and he, you know, you'll, you can find me on Instagram, and that's it. Because I, 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 I want to disappear. There we go. There we go. Jason, thanks so much for making the time for us. If people want to keep up on Instagram or wherever, where should they follow you to keep up with the journey? Just at JF on Instagram. There that's we go. It. That's it. That's all I'll have left. You won't see me on email or Facebook. It just that's it. That's the one identity I'll have. You can find me there forever. There <laughs> and only- At JF, Jason Falovich, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>